absolutely. I love that song, Hymn of Heaven, and I think you're going to see that tonight uh, our passage is going to invite us, encourage us to continue that song, Hymn of Heaven, where one day we will sing all together in one voice, one song before the Lamb. So I want to invite you to turn with me to to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to cover the entire chapter tonight. Uh, You can tell there's a little bit more empty seats than normal tonight. We have a a big district championship happening tonight. We have a Murray State game happening tonight. I am so thankful. I do. uh, I'm very, very, just very grateful you chose to spend your Wednesday night with us. I do not think you'll regret it because tonight we get to open God's word and I truly believe, I've studied this passage for some time, very intensely for a week now. Uh, if you let this passage seep into your bones tonight, uh, you will walk out of impact changed, whether you're a believer or whether you're an unbeliever. And so I believe that's what's going to happen here tonight. But before we get there, just to kind of introduce our text, uh, I recognize it is, it is the season of dance, right? We got prom coming up, we just had homecomings, we have formals coming up. You know, there's such thing as middle school dances. Middle school, don't go to those. Just don't go to those. But there are such things as middle school dances. It's the season of dance. So I want to specifically maybe think about prom, right? That's obviously for juniors and seniors. It's coming up very soon. Uh, you know, I went to prom as a junior, as a senior at Marshall County. You would never show up to prom, or one day when you get to go to prom, you would never show up to prom underdressed, Right? Like, you wouldn't show up in your khaki shorts and your t-shirt or maybe a cutoff or, or you wouldn't show up in just your normal attire that you show up to, to school with, right? That'd be very underdressed for prom. For prom, if, if you're a guy, you, you try to look your best. Maybe you're wearing a tux. Maybe you're wearing a nice suit. If you're a girl, you know, you, you get the best prom dress that you think just is perfect, that you love so much, and that's how it should be, Right? When we go to prom or when we go to homecoming or when we go to that form or when we go to a dance, we try to look the best we can. And the last thing we'd want to do is show up to that dance underdressed. Because if I walk into prom and I'm wearing what I'm wearing today, everyone's going to look at me like, Chase, like, did you get the memo? This ain't impact. This is prom. First off, what are you doing here? Second off, what are you wearing? You're not wearing the right stuff. So I wouldn't want to show up to prom underdressed and either would you. But you know what would be even worse? It's kind of a funny thought. It'd be even worse to show up to prom completely undressed. Like that, that's like things made of nightmares, right? Like you think about going to school completely undressed, going to prom completely undressed. That's thing of, of nightmares. We would never want to do these things, go underdressed or obviously go completely undressed to something as important as prom. Now, prom is very important, but I want to put it on our mind tonight, and I want us to truly believe this tonight. There is something so much bigger than prom coming than homecoming, than formal, than that dance. It's called eternity. And tonight it is knocking on our doorsteps. And just like we wouldn't want to show up to prom underdressed, I'm going to tell you tonight, you do not want to show up to eternity underdressed. And you definitely don't want to show up to eternity completely undressed. Tonight in Revelation 14, we're going to see what that means. And we're going to see it through three visions. Now, two of those three visions are going to take place in eternity. Whereas one of those visions is going to be taking place right here tonight as we speak. And what we're going to see in these three visions, our main point of chapter 14 in this sermon tonight, is where we spend eternity. Where you spend the rest of your life after death, which never ends, is actually decided right here tonight. Like, that seems like a lot, of, a lot of weight. I want you to feel that weight because the chapter 14 of Revelation is going to put this weight on our shoulders tonight. Where you and I spend forever is decided tonight, is decided today. And whether we'll be dressed for eternity in the right clothes or whether we'll be undressed 
It all depends on what is taking place right here. And so with your Bibles open to Revelation 14, like last week, I'm not going to put the text on the screen. I really encourage you guys to bring a copy of God's Word. If you didn't tonight, there should be one under your seat that you can pull out and turn to Revelation 14. If there's not, maybe you can borrow from a neighbor. Maybe there's one under his, seat, under his or her seat. But I definitely want you to have a copy of God's Word tonight. Turn to the 14th chapter of Revelation. We're going to cover the whole thing, but let's start by reading verses 6 and 7. And the word of God says this. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight in desperate, desperate, desperate need by your Spirit to absolutely encapsulate every mind and heart in this room. God, there is a lot going on. There's a lot going on in our heads. There's a lot going on with our neighbors, there's distractions all around, there's stuff going on outside of these walls that we might be thinking about. And that stuff may be very important, but what is most important about us is our relationship with you. And what is most important about us is where we will spend eternity. So God, I pray that every believer in this room will be encouraged tonight. I pray every unbeliever in this room will be convicted tonight. And that together, we would join the hymn of heaven that is taking place now and for all of eternity with one voice as we sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we get into this text, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and tell you tonight, uh, there's three visions. I already told you that in chapter 14. We are not going to look at these three visions in the chronological order that they come in the text. Okay, instead, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to tackle this text like we might like we might prepare a cheeseburger, all right? Like, if you ever prepared a cheeseburger, I had, I had grilled cheeseburgers two days ago. All right, here's what you do, okay? First, you lay out your top bun, and then you lay out your bottom bun, and then, once the buns are laid out, then you get that cheeseburger that you just grilled, spread it off the grill, and you put it on the bottom bun, you put the top bun on top, and then you have a delicious cheeseburger. That's how we're gonna tackle this section. What I mean here is first we're gonna lay out the buns, we're going to look at the top bun, which is the top part of chapter 14. And then we're going to look at the bottom bun, which is the bottom part of chapter 14. And once we've laid our buns out, once we've laid the first and the, and the third visions out, then we're going to come together and we're going to look at the middle vision, which is the meat of our passage, the burger of our passage, and is the place where we need to spend the most time thinking about and resonating tonight. Okay, and the reason... We're going to do this because you're going to see the first vision and the third vision take place in eternity. They take place in life after death or when Christ comes back is when the first and the third vision take place. The second vision, the meat of our passage is taking place right now and you don't even know it perhaps. And so that's why we're going to be doing that tonight. And so first we're going to look at this first vision. It's going to take place at the first part of chapter 14 and it's a vision of heaven. It's a vision of heaven, and here's what's happening in heaven. Everyone who is in heaven for eternity is dressed in the righteousness of God. Every single person there, both now and then, in heaven, in this vision, is dressed in the righteousness of God. They got the right clothes on for the place in which they are spending forever. And so tonight, as we look at this text, we're going to ask three questions about heaven. Who is there? What are they doing? And what are they wearing? And we'll do the same thing for the next vision. So first, who is there? Who is in heaven? Well, if you look with me at Revelation 14, look in verse 1. The Bible says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him... Pay attention to this. 
the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And so we see in the first verse of chapter 14 that who is in heaven right now and who will be in heaven then? The 144,000 who each one has the name of God and it's written across their foreheads. And this should remind you of last week's chapter, chapter 13, where the mark of the beast is on another group of people's foreheads. We'll look at them later. But in this first vision, we see that the 144,000, we all have the name of God written on our foreheads. Now, that might confuse you. How is that we? How did you, how did, why did I say we are the 144,000? Well, that 144,000, if you remember back in Revelation, this number's already came up. And this 144,000, this group of people, is not literally 144,000 people. This is a symbolic number. It's 144,000 people from all people across the Old and New Covenants who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Right, you can think of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus. Multiply those together, you get 144. This is where that 144,000 come from. Because we've grown, we've multiplied from those 12 tribes and those 12 disciples. So the 144,000 people are all people of all time, Old Covenant, New Covenant, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And here's the picture. Standing in heaven... Every single one of them have the name of God written across their foreheads. That's who they are. So if you're a believer tonight, this is going to be you. If you know believers who have died and passed away, we can rejoice because this is them. They are counted in this number. They had the seal of God written across their forehead, the name of God, because they belong to God. And so when God comes back, they dwell with God in heaven for all of eternity. That's who's there. But next, let's look at what they're doing. And this is really cool to me because I love to worship I love singing hymn of heaven. I love singing before the throne. I love worshiping. Well, watch what the 144,000 are doing in verses 2 and 3. In heaven, verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song. Before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And so we know who these people are. They're you and me if we're believers. But what are they doing? What will we do in heaven? We will worship God. With one unified voice. Here's something really cool about that 144,000. They don't look like you. And they don't look like me. They come from all nations spread across the entire earth. They speak different languages. They look different. They act different. But in heaven, we all come together before the Lamb of God and we sing one song. Worship sounded pretty awesome tonight. I've been in a lot of rooms where worship sounded pretty awesome. Understand this. Heaven's going to look really cool. Heaven's going to be really cool. But you know what? Maybe more than anything, heaven's going to sound really cool. Why? Because it's going to sound like the roar of worship. From people who are not afraid to get on their knees, stand up in their seats, wave their hands in the air because they love the Lamb who had redeemed them from their sin. They will all be singing. We will all be singing one song before the Lamb. Now, what is that song? Well, the text says you don't know it right now. You will know it then. So we can't speculate on what the song is. What we know is that we will sing it. And a lot of times I think think when we think of heaven... We think, man, so we're just going to be sitting in church forever? Like, singing forever? I don't think we should go that far. I don't think this is what the text is teaching. But 
Perhaps what the text is teaching is that worshiping God through song is one of the main things we'll be doing. So let me just pause here and say this. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you a couple of times here tonight. If you don't like worshiping God, I don't know how to tell you this, you're not going to like heaven. If worshiping God isn't something that gets you going, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in heaven. But if you love to worship God, if you are unashamed to worship God, if you get excited to use your voice to proclaim to God how much you love him, how worthy he is of your praise, you are going to love heaven. I am going to love heaven because I'm going to look at you standing on the other side of the throne of the Lamb and we're going to make eye contact and we're singing together and we're going to smile. We're going to high five because we're singing worship to our God. I know some of you love worship and I can't wait to worship with you in this vision before the Lamb of God. So that's what we're doing. That's who we are, the 144,000. That's what we're doing. We're worshiping with one song. But next, pay attention to what they're wearing. And this is maybe the most exceedingly good part about this first bun, this first half of the text. What are they wearing? Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5. Oh, this is good. Verse 4. It is these, the 144,000. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these, the 144,000, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These, the 144,000, have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Do you see these people? Do you see what they're wearing? Now, we don't get a description of what they're wearing, but I'll tell you what they're wearing. They're wearing white. They're wearing, they showed up to eternity dressed in white. And you know what that white is? It's the perfect, spotless righteousness of God. They got on robes. And the robe, the clothes that they're wearing is the righteousness of God. It's not their righteousness. As they sing to the Lamb in heaven, they are sinless. But it's not because they were sinless. It's the righteousness of Jesus. So picture this. There will be no imperfect people in heaven. Did you know that? Zero. They won't exist. Everyone who goes to heaven will be perfect. Not down here, but up there you will be made perfect because you will have a glorified body and you will be wearing a robe of the righteousness of Jesus. In heaven, you will be sinless, just as Christ is sinless. You will be without sin. Like, can you picture this? And here's maybe a test. We're going to have a couple of tests tonight. Here's a test to know if you're a believer. How does this make you feel right now? That a day is coming when your sin will be no more. As someone who hates my sin, as someone who is fighting my sin, every single second of every single day, this is overwhelming to me. That in heaven I will be sinless. And it isn't because I was sinless. It's not because I've become sinless. It's because I am in Christ and he is sinless. I just think of this. Just look at the text. They have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. All sexual sin in heaven, gone. Like it didn't exist because the blood of Jesus Christ wiped it away off the face of the map. It doesn't exist anymore. You're dressed in Christ's righteousness, and he never fell into any type of sin, including sexual sin. And that's your righteousness now. All sin, we can see in the text, that proceeds from your mouth. It's gone. All idolatry, it's gone. 
All sin you've ever committed, you ever will commit, you ever could commit, it is completely gone because you're wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness. This gets me so excited, but it also concerns me. Because I said if you don't like worship, you won't like God, but you know what else? If you do like your sin, like right now you came to Impact and you got that hidden sin or that public sin and you really enjoy it, you like it, you don't want to give it up because you secretly love it. I don't know how to tell you this either, but if you love your sin, you will not love heaven because sin won't exist there. If you love that hidden sin, if there's not a fight there, if there's not a struggle there, if there's not a hatred there for your sin, you will get to heaven and you won't like it because sin is no more. But if you're like me, and I know many of you are who have been redeemed, truly redeemed from your sin, you hate the thing that crucified your Savior. And every sin that happens up here in your head, every sin that happens right here in your heart, every sin that happens right here in your hand, you may commit it, but the moment you commit it, you hate it and you repent of it. If that's you, you're going to love heaven. Right now, you should be eagerly awaiting heaven because that won't exist anymore. You will be perfect as Christ is perfect. That's a vision of heaven. That's what you have to await If you're in Christ, that is the top bun. But now let's move to this bottom bun. And it's just, that's fun. The top bun's fun. It's got the sesame seeds. It's all good. Everyone likes the top bun. No one likes the bottom bun. And we like to ignore the bottom bun. But let me tell you about this bottom bun. It's another vision of eternity. But it's not a vision of heaven. This bottom bun. This last part of Revelation 14 is a vision of hell where you won't be dressed in the righteousness of God but you will be destroyed by the wrath of God. Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. Then I looked and behold a white cloud This is the good part of the vision. Seated on the cloud, one like a son of man. That should take us back to chapter one. This is Jesus with a golden crown on his head, a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. So the first part of this bottom bun is actually good news. Verses 14 through 20, it's a picture of God gathering all of his people from the four corners of the earth, the 144,000. This is the same picture at the top. This is our final salvation, which leads to eternal life. And we saw it's the 144,000 who have the name of God written on their foreheads. We will worship for all eternity because we're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. But now turn your attention to verses 17 through 20, a vision of hell. Then another angel came out of the temple of heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Verse 19. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Verses 14 through 20, verses 14, I'm sorry, through 16 are a vision of heaven, but 17 through 20, this is a picture of God gathering all of his enemies. Not all of his people, but all of his enemies this time, which are unbelievers for not final salvation 
but for final judgment, casting them into a lake of fire. If you don't know what this is referring to, this is a picture of hell. Or technically speaking, this is a picture of the final moments leading up to hell. And so let's just ask the same question. Who is there? What are they doing? And what are they wearing in hell? Who is there? Well, we can infer based on the passage and the rest of the scriptures that this is unbelievers who don't have the name of God written on their forehead, but who have the mark of the beast written on their forehead. You saw this last week. Each one of us right now have something written on our foreheads. It's symbolic. Either you have the seal of God, the name of God, which implies you belong to God because you've trusted in Jesus, or you have the mark of the beast on your forehead tonight because you have never trusted in Christ. It's not a credit card, it's not a vaccine, it's a symbolic mark on your head that Satan has put there. You want to know why? Because he owns you. Because you belong to him. That's who goes to this vision of hell. Not those who have the seal of the Spirit, not those who belong to God, but those who have the mark of the beast because they belong to Satan. And so when the second angel, when he swings his sickle, Across the earth, it is unbelievers who are harvested. Now, let's pause. What is a sickle? I'll show you a picture on the screen. This is a picture of of a sickle. Now, you guys know I'm not very agricultural. I didn't grow up on a farm or, or anything like that. But I did a little research, and I know that a sickle is basically an instrument that you swing like this, I assume. I don't know, probably like that somehow. And you harvest grain with it. So you got a bunch of grain, you swing it, grain goes flying, you harvest it. I don't know how that part happens, but I know how this part happens. It's called a sickle. And so we got two things happening in this vision. The second half, you got Christ swinging a sickle, and he gathers his people, but then you got a second angel swinging a sickle, and Christ's people has already been gathered. So who's left? It's unbelievers. And so what's the picture here? The picture is that at the end of the age, when Christ returns, this sickle is going to be swung and believers and unbelievers, we will be separated. One will go to one end of the room. The other will go to one other end of the room. Believers will be separated into eternal life. But unbelievers, hear me, that sickle gets swung. You're going to get separated this way into eternal hell. That is who this vision is targeting. But now let's look at what they're doing. What are these unbelievers doing in hell? Well, it was fun what we're going to be doing in heaven if you're a believer, but what are these unbelievers doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They are suffering for all of eternity. Did you hear that? I know you know about hell, but do you know about hell? where you will suffer for all of eternity. If you went today or if you go tomorrow, 10 billion years into the future, you're not halfway done with your eternal condemnation. You're not even a quarter of the way done. You're not even 1% done because it never ends. This is the picture. And this is what they're doing. They are suffering for all of eternity. First, we see in the text they're going to burn in fire. Notice what kind of authority this angel has who swings this sickle, authority over the fire. This is meant to remind us that throughout the Bible, hell is pictured as an eternal, unquenchable, never-ending fire. And this is where our unbelieving friends and family, and possibly you, are going to burn forever. Like this isn't a light text, this isn't a light book. You will be thrown into fire. And second, the text says, they will be thrown into the wine press. Well, that doesn't sound nearly as intense. Well, let me show you a picture of what a wine press is. You can see, I know it may be small if you're in the back, but you can see there's four guys in that box-looking shape. Now, it looks red. That, that was grapes just thrown into that, into that area. 
And those four men take off their shoes and they stomp on those grapes. They trample over them. They trodden over them. And those grapes become juice. And that red juice flows down a small little pipe and it gets into a a container where it then gets made into wine. And so what's the picture of, what does this have to do with hell? Well, the picture is that Jesus is coming, and here's what he does with unbelievers. He throws you into the wine press. Like the grapes in the wine press, he just throws you down, and then you're trampled over. You're trodden over for all of eternity. And if you notice in the text, their blood leaks out into the city and just piles on top of itself for miles and miles and miles high. This is the picture of hell, unbelievers' blood. They'll be trampled over and they'll just be suffering at the bottom and their blood will flow from this wine press for all of eternity. So what are they doing? They're, they're suffering. And what else are they doing? They're not doing anything. They're just suffering. Eternal torment is what awaits those who are not in Christ Jesus. But what are these people wearing? We saw the 144,000. They're wearing white robes of Christ's righteousness. What are these people, unbelievers, wearing? Well, they're not dressed. They showed up to eternity wearing the wrong clothes. They weren't wearing Christ's righteousness because they've trusted in Christ. They have on garments of their own filthy sin. And they're not just underdressed because it's just their sin. They are completely undressed. The only thing these unbelievers have to show at eternity's gates is their sin. And so maybe you're asking, you know, Chase, this this doesn't sound right, man. Like, you preach about a God who loves you. You preach about a God who is good. But now you're telling me he would send innocent people to hell, to be stomped on for all of eternity like a wine press. Can I just answer that question real quick? First off, I just need you to realize there's not a single person in this room who is innocent. There's not a single person outside of this room who is innocent. That, that question that you may have or that you may get, why would a good God send innocent people to hell? Alarm should go off in your head because that adjective, innocent, doesn't exist. You're not innocent. Your sin is worse, infinitely worse than you imagine. It's not just like you've told a little white lie to your mom and dad and God's going to send you to hell for forever. That's not it. That's not the picture here. The picture of your sin all throughout the Bible, particularly in Revelation, is that your sin, you have actively chosen to join Satan's side against Christ's side. Your sin is no little deal. Your sin is a big deal. You have joined Satan's side and you deserve Satan's punishment. Our sin is a big deal. So how could God send innocent people to hell? Simple, he won't. He will send all unbelievers because all unbelievers are sinners to the place where sinners must go. And that is hell so we've seen the top part the top bun of this passage we just saw the the very unfun bottom part and it may have some of you pretty worried it may have you worried about your friends but let us lead let us lead now into the meat of our passage into the burger into the patty of this passage and this is where we want to hang out this is one where we want to marinate so if you're not locked in get locked in because now we get to see a vision of right here. Wednesday night impact. February 28th, 2024. We are in the middle part of chapter 14. Above us, the top bun is a vision of heaven where you can be dressed in the righteousness of God. Below us is the bottom bun where you would be destroyed by the wrath of God. But right here tonight, 
you are here. Not there, not there, here. And here's what you have. You have an opportunity here to respond to the gospel of God. And we're going to see this play out through three angels who are going to do three different things that are very important for you tonight. And so let's look at the first angel. What does he do? Revelation 14, 6 and 7. The middle part of this chapter. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. We just saw two visions of eternity. This angel brings an eternal gospel. To proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So what does this first angel do? He preaches the eternal gospel. This is this gospel that you are hearing Tonight, it is a vision of right here where the first angel symbolically is taking this gospel and he's putting it right in front of your lap tonight. And so let me ask you, what is the gospel? What is the eternal gospel that this first angel is preaching? Let me make it really simple. You are a sinner who deserves eternal separation from God. Your sin is worse than you can fathom. But God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live in the likeness of human flesh. That means just like you. But he never sinned, unlike you. And the sinless, perfect Jesus went to a cross for you to die in your place, to die for your sins, so that as he hung on the cross, the perfect sinless Jesus takes all of your filthy sin, all of my filthy sin, he puts it on himself, and he dies, which is the wage for your sin. And then three days later, he doesn't stay dead, but he raises from the dead for you. So that now, through his death, And through his resurrection, you can have what only he deserves, which is eternal life. And that's why it's called the eternal gospel. And so if you're an unbeliever tonight, hear me. The gospel is in your lap. The opportunity to respond is right there. You just have to unwrap this gift called Jesus. It's been hand-delivered to you by this first angel. Now let's look at the second angel. Revelation 14, 8. Another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And so the first angel, he preaches the gospel. That's the good news. But the second angel... And the third angel, they preach the bad news. Hey, there's a gospel in front of you. It's a gift. Just unwrap it. But hey, if you don't unwrap it, here's what the second angel does. He is warning you. He is warning you about the vanity of the world. About the other gifts that you're tempted to unwrap. Because if you unwrap this gift, this gospel gift, it's yours. But there's a lot of other gifts around here. There's relationship gifts. There's sports gifts. There's all types of idols and gods that you can also unwrap. This second angel says, they're not worth it. Don't open the Babylon gifts. Babylon symbolically represents here all the human civilization, organizations, and people that oppose Christ. And so the picture is if you chase after the world here, if you chase after Babylon, If you open all the other gifts that are being offered to you, you're going to be disappointed because those gifts are empty. The world is empty. The world is going to die. Babylon has fallen. And if you live in Babylon, if you love Babylon, you will fall too. So I want you to hear this now. It's not just like trust in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. It's trust in Jesus and you'll have everything you could ever want in this life too. 
not billions of bucks, not the trophy wife, not the sports car, I'm not promising any of that. What I'm promising is your joy and your satisfaction. Babylon can't give you it, but Christ can. And so this second angel, he's pointing at the gift. He's saying, open this gift, ignore everything else, because everything else is going to leave you empty, but this gift, Jesus, can fulfill you. And that leads us to the final and third angel. Revelation 14, 9 and 11 Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, it's about to get intense. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, verse 10, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up. Picture this. The smoke of unbelievers' bodies in hell goes up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of its name. So the first angel, he gives you a gift and says, open it, it's Jesus. The second angel says, ignore everything else because it will leave you empty-handed. The third angel comes and he warns you about the coming reality of eternal torment. He says, hey, if you don't open that gift, that gospel in front of you, you will spend eternity condemned in hell. I know we've already talked about hell, but I I need you to get this tonight. I need you to get this. Hell is absolutely 100% real. And the pictures of hell we see in Revelation, I will give you this, they might be symbolic. The fire and the sulfur and and the lake. Like this could be symbolic, but let me just ask you, is that really any relief to you? Like maybe it's not a literal fire, right, but maybe it's not really sulfur. Maybe it's not really a lake, but, but is that really any comfort to you? Like think about this, and let me just steal from David Platt here. If the whole purpose of a symbol is to express a reality that cannot be expressed in words, should it bring you comfort to think that, well, maybe since these symbols aren't really literal then hell won't be so bad if hell can't be described but only to use fire and sulfur and acid it tells me that hell is actually worse than what you could even imagine through these symbols so can i be honest with you and honestly maybe even repent of something I think there's been times I've tried to help you understand what hell is going to be like but the more I read revelation I get it I can't tell you what hell's going to be like. I can't pretend to tell you what hell's going to be like. I have no idea what hell's going to be like, but I'm reading these symbols and I have every idea in the world that not a soul here wants to spend eternity there. If fire is the symbol and torment is the symbol and sulfur is the symbol, these symbols point us to reality that is worse than we imagine. But there is really good news. And that's the gift that's sitting in your lap. It's a chance to respond to the gospel. And not just escape hell, but run to the arms of Jesus who has given his life to save you and wants to give you eternal life to spend with him forever. You have a chance to respond to the gospel tonight. So let's read verses 12 and 13 to help us understand how to do that. How do we unwrap the gift in front of us? Verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. 
So I want to I wanna lay out to you tonight, based on these verses, how you can unwrap the gospel gift in front of you. And how those of you who say we've unwrapped this gift, how we can be sure we've unwrapped this. If, if heaven and hell are in the line, don't you want to be sure that you've trusted in Jesus? I can tell you, I don't want to go to bed tonight unless I'm sure. Either way, that I've trusted in Jesus. Because eternity's on the line, I might not wake up tomorrow to get a second chance at this. So how do we know we've responded to the gospel in saving faith? Well, first, exactly what I just said, we must respond to the eternal gospel by faith alone. If you look back at that first vision, those people don't get there because they were sexually pure. They don't get there because they never lied. They don't get there because they always followed the lamb. They got there because they trusted in the one who was perfect and who gave his life to make them perfect. So if you want to unwrap this gift tonight, this gospel, you have to trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You call out to him in faith, saying, I know I'm a sinner, I know I deserve death, but I know what you've done, and I'm clinging on to you as my only hope and refuge tonight. That's what it means to trust in Christ. But I want you to pay attention to the text, because a lot of you, internally at least, are nodding your head, saying, yeah, I've done that, Chase. Like, you were there when I did it. I trusted in Jesus. Like, check, going to heaven, good. You didn't read the text. Because yes, faith is required to receive the gospel, but our faith is not alone prior to receiving that gospel. We receive salvation by faith alone. However, the scriptures are clear here. Two things must happen as a result of that faith. If you know it's genuine, if you are sure it is saving. First, it must endure to the end. Like, did you notice? Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Despite what's going on around you, despite Satan's attacks and war on you, how do you know you're in Christ Jesus? Not I had a moment at this time at impact at VBS on a mission trip at crossings where I raised my hand and went to the front. Doesn't mean anything. Can I just say that? doesn't mean squat. Is that faith still existent? Or has it already ran dry? Our faith, to be saving faith, must endure to the end. A faith that runs out before the end of the finish line is not a saving faith. There's no such thing, students, as a one-time profession. It doesn't exist. It will lead you to hell. If you've really trusted in Jesus, you will wake up each day and you will continue to trust in Jesus. You trust in him forever. I'm trusting in him right now. Not just once, many years ago. Second, not only must your faith endure to the end, but it must produce fruit until the end. Your faith must produce a transformed life, good works to the very end. We saw this in verse 13. The Spirit says, blessed indeed, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Now hear me, I'm not preaching you have to be good to be saved. What I'm preaching is you trust in Jesus, and the evidence of that is he changes your life, and he makes you walk in his paths of righteousness. Your faith must produce fruit. It must produce good works or it is not a saving faith. So you can't make a profession. You can't get baptized and then live however the heck you want. If that's you, your faith is not a saving faith and it will not lead to eternal life. It will lead to eternal hell. However, genuine saving faith 
How you know you've trusted in Jesus is your life is now transformed because of that faith. In other words, you're not going to be the same person after your conversion as you were before your conversion. You're going to be a radically new person. And some of you, quite frankly, you've made professions of faith. But there's no fruit. And so you have to wrestle with, was that faith genuine? Heaven and hell are on the line. How can you be sure you're going to heaven? Well, do you trust in Jesus? Do you still trust in Jesus? And does your faith in Jesus, does your trust in Jesus, is it resulting in fruit lived out in the ways of Jesus? So students, how are you going to show up to eternity? Are you going to show up dressed in your Sunday best? Not your works, but the righteousness of Jesus because you've trusted in him. And you're still trusting in him. And it's evident because you're living for him. Is that how you're going to show up to eternity? Or are you going to show up to eternity completely undressed? You have two options tonight. Trust in Jesus and be saved. Or continue to trust in yourself. Or continue to lie to yourself. And continue to walk in the path towards destruction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your eternal gospel. God, I pray that any unbeliever in this room right now who is not trusting in Christ or who knows they made a false profession in Christ, God, I pray they'd find me or Maggie or their small group leader after this and let that be known because they can't go to sleep tonight when eternity is at stake and they're underdressed. I pray the believers would be encouraged to continue to trust in Jesus and that we would continue to...